welcome to Thinking Too Hard About Anime, an episode-by-episode discussion of a beloved animated series. It's a little bit of history, a little bit of analysis, and a lot of over-examining the Japanese cartoons we love so much. I am your co-host, Aaron J. Shelton, and with me is... Noah Carden. And today, we're continuing our, our coverage of Cowboy Bebop with session number two, Stray Dog Strut. Uh, the synopsis for this episode is... Spike and Jack go after Abdul Hakim, who's stolen a data dog from a research facility, but they're not the only ones who are after the kidnapped pooch. Uh, a lot of mistaken identities. Just a very funny episode, uh, especially compared to last week's. Yeah, I definitely think that Kenway Bebop, you have like a spectrum of like the super dramatic to the kind of madcap zany, and this is definitely towards the madcap side of the spectrum. I could actually see someone dropping out of this series after episode two. Like, wait, it's about a a dog and yeah. a bunch of animals running loose. What? I don't. I thought this was like cool and crime. And it's, it's a very sudden sort of tonal shift from the end of the last episode. Before we get into the meat of the discussion, uh, Noah, give us uh, the production notes for this episode. So this episode was directed by Ikuro Sato. And it was written by uh, Michiko Yokote. We only get really introduced into one like constant new character, uh, and that's Ayn. Uh, now Ayn does have a voice actor. What? He's actually got two voice actors. So all of like his dog sounds, the the dog vocalizations and stuff like that, were actually done by Jack, who is the producer Kazuhiko Ikiguchi's dog, who's an actual uh, corgi as well, but. There are some episodes later on in the series where Ayn speaks, air quotes, um, and that is done by the voice actor Koichi Yamadera. And if that name sounds familiar, it's because it's also Spike's voice actor. But he hates dogs. He hates <laughs> yeah. animals. He hates kids and pets. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it only really happens in like, one or two episodes uh the main one that jumps to mind is the episode preview for the episode uh wild horses where ian supposedly speaks again it's been a hot minute since i've uh-huh. gone through the whole series again but when you say speak is it like in mushroom samba where he's talking to the cow and it's just like bark 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 subtitled the episode preview for wild horses like the crew is like hey who hasn't done a preview before and then uh ein starts barking but they're like oh yeah really uh-huh and then like when the title card for it comes up you hear him go why are horses like, in the <laughs> <sort of> like <laughs> and everybody gets like suddenly like really surprised like whoa did you just talk but but yes but all of like the barks and growls and stuff like that were actually done by one of the producer's dogs. Oh. Well, I feel bad now because there's a bit in this episode where he he gets smacked and there's a there's a sad dog noise. There's a hurt dog noise. I'm like, uh, I hope that was acting. I mean, there could always be a little bit of a like, you know, stock sound effects and stuff like that, too. But but how are those sound effects obtained? Oh, man. The industry, the entertainment industry. <laughs> it's it's never victimless. <laughs> We also have to go back a little bit because somehow we uh, for two episodes, we didn't talk about the opening and closing themes, which is, I mean, almost heresy in some people's eyes. They're such an important part of the show. And 
I think I think we can we might be able to be excused for the first episode, uh, for the first session, in that it starts with that prologue as opposed to going immediately into the intro, because the intro is such a grabbing sequence at the start. The first three seconds are a just a bunch of horns coming at mm-hmm. you, along with the title and black and white just flashing i think it's like the definition of of like eye catching i'm not too familiar with other anime openings at this time but i'm pretty sure none of them did anything like this you you get a lot of like especially this area like for shonen you get a lot of just like hey we're on an adventure we're running from one side of the screen to the other a lot of like blue sky action fun kind of things going on where this is, hey, you're not going to see all the characters, clearly. Towards the end, you see each character in sort of an action pose and then a close-up still. Where they show Edwards, uh, you see a bunch of fingers typing on a keyboard, and then you see her upside down. When I first saw this, I'm like, oh, there's going to be an old man in here. That's cool. Because I thought it was like <laughs> a bald guy with a beard. That's <laughs> I didn't see two people kissing. I saw a vase. Um, but like, that's how stylized th- this opening is. We don't care about introducing all these characters. We just want to get you in the mood for this show. Uh, Faye's outfit in the opening is actually different from her outfit in the rest of the series. She was originally actually supposed to wear like a, a Chinese dress, uh, like a, a kipao. And then they kind of realized like, that's oh, a little... I don't know. It's a little bland, I guess. So they basically just kind of cut out the midsection and made the skirt into like hot pants. <laughs> like when they show like her like full body kind of like shot in in the opening. If you pay attention, you can kind of see that she still has that uh, Chinese dress outline. Okay. On her on her silhouette. This oh this opening to me makes sense for this show because it's not. We're not following a continuous plot. You know, what are we going to do? See every villain from each separate episode? Yeah, like it has a very sort of 60s, 70s kind of vibe to it. Like just like visually and like the music, which the song is is Tank! Exclamation point by the seat by seatbelts. The vocals at the start are actually by um, Tim Jensen, who is one of the um, collaborators with Yoko Kano on like writing the songs throughout the the series. He actually wrote a lot of the lyrics for all of the for most of the songs that actually have lyrics in them. Okay. Um so he's the one that actually performs those at the start. One of the bigger introductions that becomes a mainstay of the show here is Big Shots. Man, I got a lot of thoughts and questions about Big Shots. Well, first of all, it's for the bounty hunters. <laughs> It it is a it is a television show with I would say no set schedule that that comes on to tell all the bounty hunters in the solar system here are the top bounties and and their pictures and names and other information you may need. Uh, there are two aspects of what I want to talk about. One, just the logistics of it within the world of Cowboy Bebop and what that means, where it's there are enough criminals. To support, I think at one point during the episode, they say 300,000 bounty hunters Yeah, in the solar system. So there are enough criminals 
to support bounty hunters to where they like, yeah, we, of course, hey, we're a network. Of course we'll sponsor a show. Of course we can sell ads on this bounty hunting show. In, in Within the context of the show, it's insane that this is the delivery for method for bounties. It's sort of, it's like if there was a TV show specifically for freelance journalists, it's like, hey, if you can get this interview with this cartel member, Vice will pay you 8 million woolocks. <laughs> the capitalist hellscape that you alluded to in the first, in our first episode, this is, it, this is a symptom of that. It's totally the gig economy in space, like... Bounty hunting is now just a profession you can have, and there are enough people like running around all over these different planets in the solar system that you can just like. I want to know what the licensing process is for becoming a bounty hunter in Cowboy Bebop. Because can you just like say, "Hey, I'm a bounty hunter," and then like go capture somebody? I mean, in real life, I don't think it's that complex. I think a lot of people of a certain age are like, oh, a private detective, that sounds cool and fun. And I think depending on the state, you either need some sort of law enforcement background. I have looked into both private detective and I want, I think, yeah, I've looked into uh, how to get a bounty hunting license because I think you have to become a bail bondsman. In North Carolina, it's like a $200 course over like a week. (laughs) For for a bail bondsman or a private detective? For bail bondsman. And for private detective, there's two versions. One where you can carry a gun and where you one where you can't. And I think if you don't carry a weapon, it's just like a course and you have to pay a fee for a license. But if you want to be able to carry a firearm, you need to have some sort of law enforcement background. I feel like that's just asking for trouble as a private detective. Yeah. You're just... Yeah. You're 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 watching people cheat on other people. Yeah. We all know that's what being a detective is, private detective is now. But this is also I looked this up like four years ago, so I don't remember all of it a hundred percent. It's still it's something four years ago. I got real bored one day. <laughs> Cause also I was also looking up how to um become ordained. I just wanted to have like the world's like weirdest <laughs> suite of like crappy superpowers it's a low rent batman is what yeah, you tried to i do. can marry you and i can be a detective <laughs> and bounty hunt also i'm a ship captain <laughs> with spike being a criminal i imagine the process is not difficult no i love the two hosts i don't do we get names for them so you hear one of their names in the next episode but other, I don't know if you ever really get their names other than in the credits, but uh, they are Punch and Judy. Nice. <laughs> so those are the stage names. We'll find out later in the series what one of their real names is. It, again, it goes to show the multicultural narrative of the show. Where it's like two cowboys. One is like, well, look, here's a hot blonde. Uh, and here's an Indian guy. <laughs> He's from... India, maybe. I I always thought Punch was a a black gentleman. Oh, okay. But um, okay. So I'll go ahead and spoil this now. His real name is Alfredo. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll bring it up again when it <laughs> when we find out. It's way yeah. late in the series. It's like 
towards the end of the series, you you find out a little bit more about Punch and Judy, which is really weird to say, but it happens. And the English version does a good job of that. He has to use cowboy words and Old West words, but he's he's not putting on the the Southern drawl, and that just adds to the, like this weird. There's a weird charm to it, and I always get excited when it comes on. Yes, because <laughs> it's that, a fun that, bit. That music, uh, the song that is the backing track to Big Shots, is called "American Money." Yes. Oh, that sounds like a David Bowie album. If you ever, you should go and listen to that song by itself because you don't really hear it. You, if you pay attention, you can kind of hear it, but there's actually vocals to it. Well, it's like backing vocals, right? It's not, it's not lyrics. It, it almost sounds like, like clips from a 1950s, uh, like science video that you show to like a school or something. Where it's talking about like going to outer space and oh, you're right, re- yeah, reaching for the stars and all this other craziness. It's it's real, real weird. This is so big shots is so much better than having Jet be like, "Hey, Spike, I got another bounty on the on the mm-hmm. bounty line." It gives exposition to the show. It <laughs> big shots coming in at the right moment will cause will like add a twist to the current conflict by giving the crew new information. It's such a wonderful and goofy device to to move to move story along. And sometimes like they straight up miss it when the show is going over something. Like like we'll see in this episode, they they like they watch the show and then they get the call from like the doctor about the guy they were just watching. Yeah, with uh they get updated info. Like something I really appreciate about the like the sort of interface that they have with like the weird computer tv thing is that depending on which side of it you're on you can actually see bits of the interface like behind whatever somebody's watching so like way later in the in the show when we see the the pet shop owner watching big shots as they're talking about the data dog and all that you see her from the front watching it and it looks like normal but then when you see it from the back you see like just like a a like a window almost on the backside of the screen that looks like the like the tuner or like the, the the control panel or whatever that would be on like the desktop. So I, I just think like the way that that whole like interface looks is really, really neat. Um, I was also recently reintroduced to a term. You know, you have like your c- cyberpunk, you have your steampunk and all this other stuff. Um, cassette futurism. My interest is peaked the highest it can be peaked so please go on it can definitely work very much for like the kind of aesthetic of cowboy bebop but it's like you know future that that future where it's all like tube televisions and like you have to grab like this big like magnetic tape or something like that to put it in very sort of like that alien aliens kind of look that that future that is like the 90s kind of look to things and i think that can kind of apply to a lot of Cowboy Bebop, maybe sort of like the the later aspects of cassette futurism. Yeah, that's what this is. Mm-hmm. There's still tapes. One of the best episodes. Gotta go track <laughs> down a Betamax player. And I mean, speaking again about the technology and the mechanical design of everything. Uh, so when they go to Mars, they're going to Mars to catch this bounty. The city or settlement that they are going to is inside a crater. And again, they don't explain what's going on, but 
outside of the crater is just classic red Mars. Inside is like, there's greenery. It's a thriving city. Around the edge of the crater is, I don't, I guess I'd have to call it an atmosphere generator. And somehow they're able to keep the atmosphere that they're creating within this crater and the bebop has to pass through it. And again, it's, it's still the wild west. Mm-hmm. Uh, which 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 especially works for the show where it's like we're still trying to make it in these hostile environments. I I really like the kind of really small touches when you see that big shot of the crater city, because um, you can see like the walls generating the atmosphere and all that, and how it kind of some of it spills out over the over the wall out into Mars proper, but also like the roads going into the crater all look like they have like little domes and stuff like that on them so that they actually have like atmosphere and stuff like that for people driving through the city itself is very sort of like hong kong like this episode is bruce lee centric (laughs) (laughs) very much so yeah in in the in our movie rex we'll, we'll get into it but this is yeah so of course it would be hong kong adjacent even to the point where it's they the bebop i mean being an old shipping vessel i mean it lands in like a fishing like in a harbor that you would see in hong mm-hmm. kong and man that shot of it landing into the river is just so visually pleasing it's it's so good i i love the the little bits where they they show the bebop like sealing itself up for it to actually land in the water so that the engines don't get flooded with water and all that. That's like, it's so good. They could have skipped all this. Mm-hmm. Te- technically, from a storytelling standpoint, they get the call from the dock, cut to Spike is on the streets. You know, we just see a wide shot of that city. We don't need to see them land. But you get you get so much setting in, visual setting information. You get so much uh, of a feel for the show and you get mm-hmm. a feel for the world. Because they're like, you know what? Let's just take 15 seconds and just watch the bebop land. And I'm glad. I'm glad they made that decision. So, like we said, we're introduced to Ein, the Welsh corgi, the data dog, in this episode through a through a series of mistakes. Uh, he he is in a briefcase. Again, mm-hmm. sunrise. I guess this is the year of cute things and briefcases, uh, i.e., Outlaw Star. So, this got me looking into mascots in anime. So, if you don't know, mascots within the terms of anime are cute creatures. And a lot of times it's, why are they there? Or, wow, this creature is talking, even though everyone else is a human. Sometimes it maybe seems out of place. And I appreciate that Ayn is very grounded. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, amongst the mascots. But the reason they're there is for money, baby. It's the merchandise. It's to sell you <laughs> stuff. And we love it. We love mascots. So uh, I pulled Noah a little bit on some of the mascots he liked, and I I scoured a few top ten lists. But Noah, are you ready for the tournament of mascots? <laughs> oh, geez. Okay. I'm taking eight Anime mascots. We're going to do it March Madness style or mascot madness. Uh, we're putting them in brackets. 
I uh, I will give you two competitors and you will tell me who would win. To me, if we're talking about mascots, the criteria should be whether or not you would want them on a keychain or some other small tchotchke in your home okay. or about your person. The first matchup, Ryooki from Tenchi Moyo, the, the cabot, which is a half cat, half rabbit. Uh-huh. Or Gigi from Kiki's Delivery Service. Oh, man. <laughs> also, this, 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 these brackets are definitely going to show our age. Yes, yes, they are. And our familiarity with mascots. So, Ryooki is a cabot. And depending on... I, don't, I can't remember if it's like every version of Tenchi. But depending on the version of Tenchi you're watching... Ryooki also turns into a spaceship. That's true. And a little girl. And a little girl. Uh, and sometimes a big girl. Yeah. Yeah, Tenchi Moyo was a weird <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. But also, Gigi is voiced by Phil Hartman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I didn't want to tip the scales. But yeah, you see, that's what I wanted to make sure I, I, I like. I wanted to make sure I got his name correct because I was blanking for a second there. But yes, he's voiced by Phil Hartman. But also, if you become more mature and more worldly, you don't get to hear him talk anymore. If you lose your witchy way, which I, I would, I would argue that we have both lost our witchy <laughs> yes. way in this life. Definitely, <laughs> I will say that I do actually own a GG plush, though when I was younger. I definitely tried to get a Rio Oki plush when I was way more into Tenchi Muyo back when I was on Toonami. Oh, man. Um, this game can't last forever. <laughs> no, I think I'm going to go with GG on this one. All right, bam. Get out of here, girl spaceship. <laughs> yeah, like, that's, that's really cool, but at the same time, really weird. <laughs> All right, next matchup. Uh, another cat attack. Luna from Sailor Moon or Pen Pen from Neon Genesis Evangelion. Land versus oh. sea. Okay, so Luna is going to be on my shit all day. Pen Pen's just going to chill in the fridge, eat some fish. <laughs> um, I think I'm going to go with Pen Pen there. All right, that that was quick. Yeah, I just I don't really I don't really need somebody nagging me all the time to save the world. You don't need a cat that's mad at you for taking a nap or eating. <laughs> I mean, a cat is going to be mad at me like no matter what. That's true. But at least the other cats can't talk at me <laughs> about why they're mad. <laughs> Next bracket: Kerberos from Card Captor Sakura, and I'm from Cowboy Bebop. Dog versus Wing Teddy Bear. Doesn't Kerberos turn into like a big wolf thing? Yeah, so he can turn into, I would say, a a lion with wings. Huh. I, I think it's do you again? Do you want a talking mascot or just a dog who's smarter than you? <laughs> I think I kind of want a dog that's smarter than <laughs> me, honestly. All right. Like I I saw a bit of card capture Sakura, Sakura, in back in the day, but I don't know if I want to deal with all that. I think just having, like, a corgi that can, like, hack the internet would be cool. <laughs> that knows what buttons to hit to eject yes. himself from a dangerous situation. I get final match for the for the top eight. Tachikomas from Ghost in the Shell or Pikachu from Pokemon. 
Ooh, okay. The king of the mascots. <laughs> king of mascots versus... So, are you you are aware of what a Tachikoma is, right? The the mechanical spy, the AI uh, robot uh-huh. spiders from uh, from standalone complex, specifically, correct? Yes. Yeah, they're they're spider tanks. Sorry, <laughs> which means they have guns. <laughs> but hey. Pikachu, Pikachu can also like he could carry a gun <laughs> if that's what you're <laughs> interested in. Well, he has like super thunder abilities. Oh man! Do but, you have to be a Pokemon trainer to get to have a Pikachu? Do you then have to go on a Pokemon adventure? Pokemon episode one, like Pikachu and Ash don't get along, and it takes like Ash nearly dying for Pikachu to be okay with this kid. So I feel like if I suddenly became an owner of a Pikachu, I'd have to go on like some sort of grand adventure so that this Pikachu would respect me. How, how do Tachikomas feel about humans? They're pretty cool with them. They're very much about <laughs> becoming sapient. Like, they'll read books and stuff like that and have, like, fun adventures. But also, you can, like, ride around inside of them <laughs> like a car. So, and they can climb walls. Uh, the, the, ma- the, uh, the maintenance. Oh, I'd have to give them all sorts of natural oil. Uh I, I really need to get my own car an oil change. So, <laughs> as much as I love Tachikomas, I might have to go with Pikachu here. That's also a lot less space to take up. Tachikomas yeah. are big. So, imagine it's outside your apartment late at night. It's knocking on your window. Yeah. <laughs> asking questions about God and shit. They also get like into all sorts of rambunctious adventures if they get outside on their own, too. Like, they'll go and like, have an adventure with like a little girl who's lost her dog. To be fair, I've never watched Ghost in the Shell standalone complex. Okay, we'll have to watch that at some point right. because season man, 12. there are some there's some episodes where it's just about the Tajikomas and them like becoming more human and more sapient and like learning what death means and stuff. Boy, oh boy. Pikachu. Going to go Pikachu. Okay, Pikachu. All right, we're in the final four. Okay. Gigi versus Pen Pen. Pen Pen's gonna lot want a lot of like fish and stuff like that. I feel like Gigi, I could get away with just like some regular cat food. Ooh, I think I'm gonna go with Gigi still. All right. As much as I like Pen Pen, Pen Pen's really cool. Pen Pen is now goop that has been absorbed to the collective unconscious. <laughs> yep. All right. Ein versus Pikachu. Oh man. I didn't expect this to be so difficult for you. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I, I'm pleasantly surprised. Um. Okay, here. Here we go. I feel like Pikachu is going to be a lot more demanding of, like, adventure and stuff like that. I think Ayn is going to be much more chill with just staying at home. So I'm going to go with Ayn. Wow. Yeah, all right. Plus, if you've ever read any of the Pokemon comics, mainly... um. Uh, the electric tail of Pikachu, a Pikachu will get into your walls and start chewing on your electrical wiring. That's not good. Yeah, your deposit is gone. All right, fi- the fi- the final match for the for all the marbles. Gigi versus Ein. Cat versus dogs. I love corgis and I love cats. And a cat that sounds like Phil Hartman or a dog that can <laughs> a dog that can raise Bitcoin. <laughs> I think 
as much as it pains me, I think I'm going to have to go with Gigi. What? The upset of the century. Yeah. Wow. It's just cats are also so much like lower maintenance. Well, you know, he's not going to talk to you, but maybe. Yeah. I mean, maybe. I mean, if I get back in touch with my my witchy childhood. <laughs> I know. If you can make some potions, if you get back into that. It's real rough. But yeah, I think I'm going to go with Gigi. <laughs> All right. That's I mean, that was a close match. Sorry, Vegas. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that was a tournament of mascots. Gigi from Keys Delivery Service is the is the mascot supreme, according to this very scientific, for, according to this one person. Yeah. So, all right. Well, we'll never talk about Ein again. <laughs> nope. He's gone. Gone forever. Yeah. He ran off with Edward. That's what happened, right? Yeah. 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 Spoilers. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> station you can only pick up late at night the music played on broken speakers at the abandoned mall the sounds you imagine hearing just before you go to sleep you're haunted by the ghosts of your childhood and a future that never was night clerk radio can put a name to the music you never knew you were missing out on vaporwave Broken transmissions. Dark ambient. Join Ross Payton and Burke as they explore lesser-known genres of music and highlight some of the best albums and mixes out there. They also delve into the history and theory behind the music, covering topics like plunderphonics and hauntology. When does sampling other songs become its own art form? How did older technology become such a popular aesthetic now? Night Clerk Radio is a conversation about music and culture, nostalgic music, weird music, haunted music, Subscribe on your podcasting app at nightclerkradio.com today. So I think one like kind of standout thing about this episode are the scientists chasing down Ein, especially the two that are in like the, the front seat of like their weird like science van. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it seems that way. <laughs> seems that, that way. way. <laughs> uh, they're like they're just so good at being sort of like weird, inept scientists. They have like these really weird kind of like personalities to them. Of all the work they did with the setting, and this is maybe like the fifth or sixth time I've watched this episode in my life, maybe mm -hmm. more. It's still a little confusing. I'm like. Wait, who are these guys? They're just generic scientists doing generic, bad, re illegal research? Yeah. It, it's weird that there were not more in-depth with them. But, man, whoever did their performances in the, the English versions, they knocked it out of the park. The line that gets me every time is when they turn on the dog whistle. 
and the guy in the the guy driving just goes, "Is it on? I can't hear it." And the guy in the back tells him that it's a dog whistle. It's above human hearing, and he he just very quickly goes, "That's right. I knew that. I was testing you." <laughs> it's just such a dumb little joke, and the way it's delivered is just so like spot on. It, it gets me every time. In the subtitled, I don't think he says I was testing you, uh-huh. but it's the same interaction as like I can't hear it. It's like well, I told you, you 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 can't humans can't hear. He's like, oh, I remember. That's right. But yeah, it's <laughs> still giggling at the, these dummies driving a science van. Yeah, and then when the one guy, the seems that way guy, tries to capture Ein with like the net gun, the way that he delivers the damn it when he misses. <laughs> it's just it it gets me like I can't help it. No, they were a good, just some fly in the ointment of of this whole madcap chase to get a dog. It's it's such a, a, a an interesting kind of like third party to throw into it because it could have very easily just have been Spike and Hakeem like playing cat and mouse with each other trying to get Ein. And this this third party just has to kind of show up and throw an extra wrench in the whole thing. There's a lot of physical comedy going on this episode. Uh, Hakeem, I think the very first scene is him coming out of the one of the first scenes is him coming out of the bathroom, and there are three guys mm-hmm. trying to stop him, and like he just sort of one hit knocks out everyone, one hit one hit per person, and throughout the episode, he's just punching people. And yeah. it's very funny. There, uh, I think after the commercial break, Hakeem's in the river, and there are kids fishing, and he comes out, and the, like the little bobber, the little is is in his afro. He asks the kids what time it is. They say, and then he just punches them out of the way. Yeah, and that's the end of this. And like that's the punchline for the scene. Uh, he steals a, a, a sports car from a wedding, <laughs> <laughs> and the groom very politely. Goes up to him as he's doing it, like, um, excuse me, what are you? And then just one punch, and then he drives off. Does the bride call out her husband's name? No, not in the version I watched. <laughs> That's a good the, added joke then. The English, the moment he gets punched out of the way, you just hear a voice from off screen go, Harold! <laughs> All the criminals fall off a fall off an overpass right in front of the police station. No one dies. No one's like terribly. It's like cartoon hurt. Yeah. They have bruises, but like you just see them in the aftermath of it all on big shots. Uh, they're, they're you know, getting arrested. Yeah. Just what a fun, light episode. And I think it's what they, they definitely needed this. It's got more of a, a buddy cop feel to it with, with Spike and Jet where like Jet comes up with like the plan to to draw out Hakeem and then Spike is like, oh geez, I gotta go do this this lame plan and walk this dog around, even though I hate kids and pets. And Jet is just like, yo, just just stick to the plan. It's it'll all be good. And then you know the dog whistle yeah. starts in that whole scene. But yeah, I'll be away from all the action safely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, speaking of a bunch of animals, do you want to learn about bird fortune telling? <laughs> Do I? Uh, I don't have a ton of information on it, but it's uh, so there's a Hakeem is still looking for Ein. 
uh, a fortune teller stops him on the street uh, and attempts to read his fortune, uh, but he does so through a bird. What they probably got it from is uh, Temple Street in Hong Kong at night. There, there's like a ton of stalls, but there's also stalls with like a bunch of fortune tellers there. And one video I watched, they were interviewing a woman. She was going, she, she just did tarot cards, but she was explaining how like, it's actually not, she doesn't get a bunch of tourists, surprisingly. It, it's hmm. like low, it's like young people, locals. Uh, but it's not just there. Uh, I guess it, ha- it happens in Taiwan. Other examples in India, in Mexico City. It's all over. But it's essentially the, the premise, like it says in the show, they train a bird to get a bunch of cards from a stack and to pull them. And then the person who is in charge of the booth will interpret those. And I think in Hong, when I saw in Hong Kong, that was it. They, they're like, just like you saw on the show, it's a bunch of little cards in a, a deck box mm. that, the, that the bird will pull. But that's like, I would be, in, if I ever went to Hong Kong, I would definitely be interested in, in doing that just to, just for the, there's, there's, there's a cool novelty to it for sure. Um, and it's also interesting that we have two episodes back to back with a little bit of, again, we're in the sci-fi world, but there's like a little bit of spirituality mixed mm-hmm. into it. Um, yeah, there's there's like some some mysticism kind of going on. Yeah, I, man, I looked at a lot of <laughs> fortune telling bird videos. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool as hell. I mean, it sounds really, really neat, like training a bird to pull cards. Oh, yeah. You saw, like, in some of them, you saw, like, the little treat they get. They get a little seed afterwards. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're, they're earning a living, I guess. Yeah. So in the, the, the Japanese version, the, the old man complains about getting his money when Hakeem runs off, right? Mm-hmm. Does, <laughs> does Hakeem reply with, I'll pay you when I'm rich? Yes, that's that's like a one for one translation. Okay, and then the, the old man is like, "Not again." <laughs> that's another good, like little little comedic bit that gets me. One of my favorite tracks off. I believe it's the, f- I believe it's on the first Cowboy Bebop OST. Uh, it's called "Bag Dog No Biscuit." It's the closest ska song we have <laughs> in the entire series. And I just want to say, just, just go listen to it. It's a banger. It's it's they play it throughout. It fits so well throughout this entire dog whistle chase where all the animals are going nuts. Everyone is finally they finally cornered Ein and everyone's going after him. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's jumpy and it, it's just the right lighthearted tone to this whole thing. Yeah, I love ska. I believe you're also a skazman. <laughs> Yes, I'm a rude boy. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm part of the two tone army. <laughs> the only other like really kind of big song that really jumps out at me, other than, of course, bad no bad dog, no biscuit, and American money, is uh, "Want It All Back," which is the the first song you get for the the chase between Spike and Hakeem. It's the the, the song that happens. When they first chase them out of the the pet shop, and there that actually has like full lyrics and everything by um, Maya Yamane, who is the the female uh, vocals in a lot of the the songs. The mute. There's not too much of a music change from this in the first episode. 
but it, it's mainly it, I guess it'd be tonal or, or yeah. feeling wise. They they pep it up as as they should. This this episode, like I, I mentioned earlier, is much more lighthearted, madcap. So the music kind of fits that a bit more, while still staying in sort of the the jazzy house style of the the show. We yeah, we should probably do this. So like, just over yeah, overall thoughts for the episode. Yeah, I mean, of course, I like, I like the episode. Um, coming from the first episode into this one, it's much more lighthearted, and it kind of gives you how the show is going to be kind of changing its moods all over the place. So it's not just going to be all super dramatic all the time. You're going to get episodes that are going to be lighthearted and kind of ease some of that that pressure that you get from some of the more dramatic episodes, especially ones um, where we dive into Spike's past and all that. Yeah, I'm, I really like this episode. It's fun. I am eager to get the the full cast on this ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but with with that, let's, let's talk about the ending theme. The Real Folk Blues is the closing theme by Seatbelts. The, the vocals are Maya Mane. It is the closing song for all but two of the episodes, um, Jupiter Jazz Part 2 and Real Folk Blues Part 2. Though, the final song for uh, Real Folk Blues Part 2 is the same music but different lyrics. And I want to say that is called uh, See You Space Cowboy is the actual final song. But yeah, it's just this really bluesy kind of kind of song. And you get these sort of blued sepia, like monotone kind of shots of where clearly Spike before his his like air quotes death and, and rebirth. And you kind of get to see like his 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 relationship with two of the characters that you kind of learn more about later in the show. Um, you also get to see Spike in like jeans and like a, a bomber jacket and stuff. It's really interesting seeing some of the, the different outfits. It's him just kind of enjoying a rainy day. Uh, I mean, there's obviously kind of shots leading up to that prologue scene. Like you see him buying the roses. He's in like the, the, the trench coat. You see him passed out in front of Julia's place at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also a shot where you see somebody from the back and you see Spike and Julia in the in the background. It has this confrontational kind of feel to it. Yeah, because I believe that shot is uh, the person in the foreground is on stairs. So you're looking down mm-hmm. your your brain's like, who is this person? Clearly, this is bad news. And that you would I mean that I've missed certainly in multiple viewings because you're just kind of enjoying the song. It's not overly sad. It's just it's just subtle enough to where it like like the blues. The blues isn't. I'm weeping. I'm just I'm just I'm just bum man. It's just there's just this mm-hmm. melancholy flavor to all of it. Yeah, and like the the lyrics are like, hoof, peak blues. Just very much about like I have this deep sort of loneliness or sadness that you know, hopefully I can I can live with. Or I can heal from, but it's it's very much something that has been a part of me, kind of thing. Well, I'm getting depressed. We should move on. <laughs> I think real quick, the sort of really kinetic nature of the opening helps get excited for the episode that you're about to watch, and then the really sort of s- slow bluesy nature of real folk blues 
definitely kind of helps helps you come down from the episode. I think that's a really a really neat kind of like arc you can make. I mean, we've all seen the meme anime opening versus anime ending. Mm-hmm. Anime endings don't make any fucking sense sometimes. They're just like yeah. sad and down for no reason. This is like no, this this fits in perfectly. So for this week's movie recommendations, uh, I want to talk about one, uh, and then I want to recommend one. So uh, there's a certain movie and certain person that is so influential on this episode, and that's Bruce Lee, as we've mentioned before. Uh, and specifically, the movie, question mark, uh, Game of Death, uh, which kind of came out in 1978 uh, and was kind of directed by Bruce Lee. Uh, let me explain. So... Game of Death is actually an incomplete film. This is the film that Bruce Lee died on while he was making it. It features a scene where he fights Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, uh, who is like the obvious influence for Hakeem Abdul mm-hmm. uh, from the height, from the hair. His character in that movie is named Hakeem. Well, the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, even more, Your Honor. <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> clearly, they just stole this character. But the main plot is that Bruce Lee uh, is forced to fight up a pagoda. So each floor has different opponents, each each five, each of the steps. And the weird thing about this is that it, it, he was shooting this before he got big. And like sort of the, the if I'm not mistaken, a lot of the tragedy of Bruce Lee's life and his, and the, his death is that it happened before all these movies came out and came to the forefront, you know, he, mm-hmm. he didn't get to enjoy, uh, the, the celebrity he got later on. So they kind of, so after his death, they sat on this footage for a while. Uh, Robert Klaus, who was the director of enter the dragon, uh, they would through reshoots and stand-ins. Like there's a lot of shots of Bruce Lee just, well, there's a guy that kind of looks like him in a wig and sunglasses and he's not talking. <laughs> They did all this to release a version, which was five years after Lee's death and was produced by Golden Harvest. Uh, and it's like, please don't watch that. Well, watch clips. Game of Death is not good. <laughs> uh, no. Know, for, the, for the reasons I've just given. Uh, if you're new to Bruce Lee, definitely enter the dragon. Start with enter the dragon, go from there. Game of Death is watch clips. There, uh, the documentary Bruce Lee, A Warrior's Journey, which came out in 2000, uh, contains some other original footage that was not seen in the version that was released in 78. It's just, it's cool that they took this movie with such a sordid history and just, you know, a death that's behind, that's involved with it. And they took these elements and were able to reinterpret it into something very good. But the movie, so I can't recommend Game of Death, but I can <laughs> recommend something. Well, I guess now for something completely different. Mm. Mm. So before I watched it, I thought my movie recommendation was going to be a screwball comedy, which was a style of film, comedies in the 30s, fast-paced dialogue, there were, you know, there were mistaken identities. Most of those were a play on romantic comedies uh, and sort of the, the power dynamics between the sexes. So I'm like, well, this ain't it, but... What this episode is, is a farce. 
So, for example, it's like Mel, Brook mo- Mel Brooks movies, Charlie Chaplin, these mm-hmm. comedies that are, the characters are exaggerated, the situations are absurd or ridiculous. Uh, it's not cynical. There's a ton of physical comedy, harmless violence, mistaken identities. It's fast-paced action. So I'm like, as I'm looking into this, I'm like, yeah, this is what this episode is. It is a farce of a comedy. And one that I enjoy that I don't think people probably watch a lot is Monty Python's Life of Brian, uh, 1979, uh, directed by Terry Jones. Uh, He's given sole director credit, like, uh, I believe, in Search uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I believe he shares it with Terry Gilliam. But Terry Jones is credited as sole director on this, which is especially sad because, to bring up death again, I guess, uh, he passed away last year. It's Monty Python's third movie. It's about Brian, who was born in the manger next to Jesus and is mistaken for the Messiah. And I know Monty Python, I think, to to people our age, that's like childhood. I, don't, I, I feel like we had the same media trajectory in some things. My, my parents showed me uh, Holy Grail when I was in like my early teens, preteens. Kind of, kind of era, and then I watched a lot of uh, Flying Circus throughout my teens. A friend showing the tape in like middle school, and mm. it's sort of I think when we're but we both run around in gaming circles, and that's definitely if you're near D and D during a certain point oh, in yeah. the in the nineties and eighties, you were uh-huh. you're very aware with Monty Python's Holy Grail. I would say if you've never seen Monty Python, I would recommend watching Holy Grail. I think that's on Netflix now, in the States at least. Um, Maybe looking up some of their sketches. Uh, But if you've already dipped into that and you're looking for more, Life of Brian is a good choice, I think. And a fun farce of mistaken identities. Are there (laughs) dogs? I don't even know if there are dogs. There might not be dogs in it. Thank you so much for listening. Again, we are a new baby podcast If you like what we do and you want to support us, please share the podcast uh, with others that you think would enjoy it. Uh, You can write to us at thinkingtohardpod at gmail.com. That's thinkingtohardpod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at thinkinganime. And again, thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back in two weeks with session three, Honky Tonk Woman. I am Aaron. I am Noah. And we've been thinking too hard. 